Middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. I'm going to Wichita. Wichita, Kansas, and beyond with Tommy Castor and Blake Cripps. This is Keeper of the Games. Some may say that we are wildly unqualified. Some may say we are only mildly entertaining. I say we are exactly where we are supposed to be, bringing you the latest and greatest in Wichita sports on the Keeper of the Games podcast. This is episode number 91. Welcome back into the show. I am your host, Blake Cripps. All of the normal places that you can find us are still there. Cogpod.podomatic.com, at Cogpod on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Keeper of the Games. The videos on Facebook and on our YouTube channel, and also our website, Cogsports.com. And I am joined once again by my faithful and loyal co-host, Tommy Castor. Tommy, the Winter Olympics are over now. I know you don't care about that. Where is your sports-centered life focused right now at least i know you're focused on the thunder i'm focused on the jets i'm talking about outside of that do you have any time in your life for just pleasurably watching sports yeah a little bit but i you know actually one reason why i'm glad that the winter olympics is over with is because now and this is going to make me sound like i'm 80 years old but now that the winter olympics is over with my wife and i can actually watch wheel of fortune again each night uh, because Why that comes you watch on. Fortune? Well, because it was preempted typically here in Wichita due to Olympic pregame coverage at like oh. six thirty p.m. And so we we're, we're not able to watch Wheel of Fortune, which we like to do because we're elderly now. And uh, <laughs> so I'm I'm excited about that. So that's back in my routine. But as far as my sports life is concerned, you know, it's college basketball to an extent. Although, oh, for sure. I have to be completely honest about college basketball, um, and this happens to me every year, and I don't know if you ever go through this with any sports at all in your life, but I go through a college basketball fatigue about this time of year where I'm. It, it's not that I'm not interested in it because I am, I'm just kind of worn out by the, you know, the all the games. I mean, there are games every night in the college basketball world, and then I, I get re-energized when March Madness comes around. But typically, the last like end of January through February, I still follow it and I'm excited by it. But I'm I'm kind of tired too. I don't. It's not that I'm. I don't know. It's hard to explain. I just like to call it college basketball fatigue. I mean, these are the dog days, right? These are yeah. well. I mean, I would say the dog days were probably about when the Olympics were happening. Sure. Because right, you know, yeah. right now, now we're in the stretch run. Now we're getting right. set for conference tournament time. March Madness is a week away as yeah. we're recording this. Less than a week away for those of you who are watching or listening to the show here on this Wednesday or Thursday, whenever we're getting it uploaded this week. So I think that, the, you know, you've waited for this time. The really exciting part is right sure. around the corner. And yep. that is where we are focused on the show today for the most part. Coming up on the show today, and by the way, the audio for the show is available pretty much anywhere. iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts. Stitcher, many, many more. It's probably on MySpace, too, if you if you want to get it there. So anywhere you can get audio, you can get this podcast. Just search for Keeper of the Games. And if you do like the show, please ring the bell or hit the star or the heart or whatever on your platform that you do to like, share, and subscribe. It really helps us out. We appreciate it. Coming up on the show today, the Sunflower Showdown is the hottest hockey team in America, possibly right here in Wichita, Kansas. But we'll begin today with what was an amazing basketball game this past Sunday as the Shockers took on the number 14 Cougars from the University of Houston. Houston holds on for a 76-74 victory over the Shocks. 
this was a double overtime loss for the Shockers in Coke Arena. And for just about the entire 50 minutes of the game, you know, in my mind, I think a lot of people's minds, if you watch that game objectively, you would not have thought that the Shockers were the third worst team in the American because they were the match of the Cougars for every single step of the way for about the entire 50 minutes. They started the game very great offensively, uh, getting out to a 16-10 lead, but they managed just 24 points in the first half. They really slogged down, got bogged down offensively, got a little bit stagnant in the second portion of that first half. But the shocker defense, Tommy, that was among the nation's elite in non-conference play and has sagged, frankly, inside the American Conference, returned to its former glory. They shackled the Cougars to just 28 points in each of the first two periods. But in the end, Josh Carlton, 23 points. He had 12 in the extra sessions to hold off WSU. Craig Porter was electric in this game, hitting some amazing shots. 17 for the Shockers. Sent the game into overtime with 5.4 seconds remaining in regulation. But there was a big defensive breakdown. Let Jawan Roberts get away. The feed from Shed, an easy dunk with 1.2 ticks on the clock. In double overtime, and the Cougars held on to win and escaped the Air Capital with that 76-74 victory over the Shockers. Tommy, uh, the Shockers are who they are right now, but this is in my mind, absolutely a glimpse of what may have, what could have, depending on who you are, maybe what should have been the kind of team that Wichita State had this year. This was an absolutely amazing game. Yeah, it really was. Um, one of the the most, I think, defining games so far in the Isaac Brown era at Wichita State, even though it didn't really? end, even though it didn't end on a positive note, I think that the fact that the Shockers pushed the, the top team in the conference the way that they did. And not only that, but really, I think, can walk away thinking, man, we we can hang. As long as we are playing to our best ability, as long as we are playing at the top of our game, we can push top opponents. It's something to build on for the future, even though it shows up as an L in, in, in the, in the column, the lost column for Wichita state. I know that anybody that's, you know, affiliated with any kind of sports will say, well, there's no such thing as moral victories. And I'm not saying that it was a moral victory because the shockers obviously wanted to get the W, but I think there's a lot of things you can learn from that and, and build from that. I, I really honestly believe that this game says more about who Houston is as opposed to who the Shockers are or could be. Uh, you know, I want to take a moment just to absolutely tip my cap to Kelvin Sampson and the job that he's done this season. Houston has been absolutely decimated by injuries, uh, and they have been able to still put together a remarkable season despite all the injuries. And, and I think that's a testament to who Kelvin Sampson is as a coach. And Tommy, uh, this is not a one-year deal. I mean, he, they no. they were in a final, you know, according to our friend, your friend. I, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to say he's your friend because of this opinion is so bad. The, the worst Final Four team ever. But I mean, he's built this. They're, they're a reputable respected and yep. feared program nationwide now, not just yeah. in the American. They're legitimate. They are a oh, legitimate yeah. program, even though they have been bitten by the injury bug this season. They are a legitimate program that uh, hey, you know you what know, I just it, realized. What's that? They're going to be in the Big 12. Kelvin Sampson's yeah. going to be back in the Big 12. Absolutely. I, that's going to be a big time rivalry. And, and you know what? Like, I think this season and even last season when they made the final four run, if this team 
was currently in the Big 12, or maybe they had, let's say they had been in the SEC all along or whatever, they would get so much more national attention oh, they do than well. what they currently do. Uh, and I'm not saying that they get underreported. I mean, I think that the credit is given to the, the Cougars, but uh, there would be so much more attention on this squad. You'd be talking about them alongside Gonzaga, Villanova, Kansas, uh, Arizona, like the, the top teams in the country. You would you would absolutely have Houston right up there. Um, you think they're a top half team in the Big 12 this year? I do. Absolutely, absolutely I do. Yeah, without a doubt. I think they're doubt, probably a top three team in, the, in some other, like the SEC. They're probably the what? They're probably the second best team in the yeah. Big East. Sure, absolutely. They might be better than all the teams in the Pac-12. Possibly, oh, Pac- yeah. Uh, maybe outside of Arizona, um, UCLA you know, is pretty decent too. They're, yeah. they're those three are are in you know they're in peer with one another. Yeah, yeah, and you're right. Arizona is a step above. They're one of the legit national yeah. championship contenders for sure. So I you know I think that this victory that Houston had over Wichita State tells you a lot about this program. It shows that you know Houston didn't have their best stuff uh, for for a good portion of this game, and they let Wichita State hang around. The Shockers got out to that early lead, as you mentioned, but the fact that they, Houston was resilient enough to be able to push the game into overtime and then ultimately win, um, it, 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 I think that is a defining win for Houston moving forward as we get into the home stretch of the American uh, Conference play and then into the American Tournament and the NCAA Tournament. Wins like that, especially in February, will define your uh, your hopes down the line in the big dance. And so hats off to what Houston was able to do. That being said, going back to Wichita State, obviously it's a Wichita podcast, so we want to focus on the Shockers. I would not, if I was any other coach, especially in the top half of the ACC or the AAC, I would not want to face Wichita State in the opening round of the American Conference Could Tournament. be a tough draw. They are a dangerous 8-9 seed wherever they end up falling in the conference tournament. So if I'm Kelvin Sampson, if I'm SMU, if I'm somewhere in that top echelon of the American tournament, I don't necessarily want that draw to face the Shockers. No. Based off of what they showed against Houston, there have been that let's let's just be real, let's be honest. This Shockers team has some flaws. Uh they disappear on offense from time to time. That's happened multiple times this season. Agreed. As you mentioned, they at one point during non-conference play had an impeccable defense, but there were some key defensive lapses in that Houston game that cre- that that led to the loss. And so not many they, because I mean they they held Houston to 76 when it points mattered, and they had 10 but, extra minutes. But when it mattered, uh there, there were, were some, some breakdowns. There were some key breakdowns defensively. Especially uh, I mean that last play when they went the length of the floor and like that that the only thing that I thought of was this is Patrick Mahomes on a basketball court. Sure, they literally went the length of the floor in like two seconds and without resistance and laid it in. I don't know. I've watched that play a couple of times, and I I just don't know what was what happened on that play. Shed was really really good. You know, he had nine assists and two turnovers. I was really impressed by Jamal Shedd in that game. Mm-hmm. He played for, you know, 49 minutes, 30 seconds in that game. He, Wichita State never really found a way to contain him. He had four steals. He was really good. But, man, I, I feel like you've got you've to at least try to turn him. You've got to make him go another direction, get the ball out of his hand. You know, he did not shoot the ball real well. But when he was a passer first, he really made their offense click. Yeah, and, and you know, I think that not only 
do we know that the team as a whole they have some uh, some offensive times where just it, nothing is happening for them and we know that there were some key defensive breakdowns but more individually you don't know always from game to game if you're going to get great Tyson Etienne or mediocre Tyson Etienne. Sure. You just don't necessarily know Not from game year. to game. You don't know if you're going to get the all preseason, the preseason all conference player of the year, Tyson Etienne, or a guy that's just a guy, Tyson Etienne. And he, but he's not the only one. I don't want to put all the everything on his shoulders. Sure. More Sudeze. Sometimes he just completely goes away too. You know, he only played 18 minutes or 19 minutes in the game against Houston. Only had five points. Kenny Poto has been a guy that has gotten more and more minutes as the season has gone on. Um, you know, sometimes Udezi just doesn't have really. And part he's not of that on. in this game was he got in some foul troubles, and there sure. were a couple that were. You know, if you were a Wichita State fan in the building, that you're probably booing yourself horse over. That were, I mean, there. Sometimes Wichita State fans, I think, you know, believe that every call that goes against them is a bad call, which no. is you know, r- ridiculous. I mean, but every uh, fan of every team thinks that about probably, the team, but. probably correct. Probably some up in Lawrence and Manhattan that feel the same way. Yeah. Um, but there were a couple against Morris that I thought were. Marginal, but even and when so he's he not fe- in foul trouble, there have been there have been some games where he's been correct. he's been a non-factor. I'm only saying at the for five. this game specifically. Sure. So I, you know, I think that when when Shocker fans and when Isaac Brown looks back on this season, depending on how far along it goes, uh, when they look back at this season, I think that you can say that there was some untapped potential on this team, and when it all comes together for the Shockers. It's good. You can see what it's... I mean, even though they they fell against Houston, they looked really good for the majority of that game. Things clicked offensively. Things were really, really solid. That's You know, they had some non-conference wins where they looked really, really good. Um, But I think that as a whole, you look back on it and you think what could have been. You know, they're 13 and 11 overall. They're going to finish in the bottom half of the American Conference. It's disappointing, especially for the first full year of Isaac Brown. as the official coach in Wichita, there were some flashes of it. Unfortunately, the team just couldn't consistently put it all together night in and night out. The other thing that was a really big difference I felt like in this game was the rebounding because you look at the shot numbers. I mean, Houston attempted about 20 more shots than Wichita State did, and the rebounding numbers overall were not that dissimilar Three only three more turnovers. Wichita State turned it over fourteen times. They didn't do a terrible job. Give again, you have to give Houston some credit. I mean, they're on Haslametrics. They're in the top ten in defensive efficiency in the country. So they're not a bad defensive team whatsoever. But there were so many second chance points. I mean, Houston outscored Wichita State twenty three to six on the second chance points. That was really big. There were so many. Second chance points, especially in the overtime period, I felt. I think I had a stat that I wrote down about that. Uh, let's see. Ricky Council was amazing. Houston had a 9-0 run to get back into it. But the, I feel like in extra play, like I think I read like 9 of their or 11 of their – yeah, 11 second chance points in the two overtime periods out of their 20. 11. 11 came off of second chance opportunities. Mm-hmm. So, you know, with Udeze out of the game, you know, he never really got a chance to get going. The shocker depth is a big, big problem because you look at the usage in this game. Wichita State played. I mean, they ended up playing 10, but you look at who actually played. 
six of the guys played at least 18. That was Morris Udeze, the low man there because of his foul trouble. The other five all played more than 30, and three of the five played more than 40. So the bench right now, you had Joe Pleasant come off for eight and a half, but the other guys all played five or less pretty much. So the depth for Wichita State is a big, big, big problem, especially when you get a guy like Udeze, heaven forbid if Dexter Dennis or Tyson Etienne get in foul trouble. You know, we've seen what this Shocker team can look like with those guys on the bench or not available to play like the Shockers did earlier this year when Dexter Dennis was out sick and unable to play. And the Shockers, they got to have all these guys. So it seems like a very, not necessarily physically fragile, but just I guess compositionally fragile team. If not everybody can go because of injury or foul trouble, this team just doesn't have a lot of depth. Yeah, it's definitely a top-heavy uh, rotation when you look at definitely. the minutes. Um, you know, you've got Ricky Which Council in this is game. It's true for a lot of t- a lot of teams, right? Ricky Council played you know the most in 48 minutes. Obviously, had the the extra overtime frame as well. You know, Tyson Etienne had 47 minutes. Craig Porter 43. But then, really, there's a sharp drop off. Obviously, we talked about Udeze and foul trouble. Uh, so Kenny Poto was able to get you know 31 minutes in that game. But you know, guys that just really, I mean, you look at the the bench numbers. Yeah, the minutes and there weren't a ton. But Joe Pleasant got nine, Quay Grant had six, uh, Clarence Jackson five, Chauncey Jenkins had four, but they were in the game for those minutes, really non-factors. Quay Grant had two points, the rest of those guys didn't have any. So clearly, Isaac Brown only has faith in that tight, tight rotation, only has faith in the starters for extended periods of time, extended minutes on the court. And you see that somewhat with teams, especially down the stretch where coaches lean on the guys they trust and really that's it uh you know in in conference games when you're battling for a potentially a conference title or an NCAA tournament bid or what have you you really go with not the not the hot hand not the high upside guy but the trusted guy not the big risk big reward guy but the trusted guy and that's really what Isaac Brown has done but I agree with you there's just there's not a ton of depth on this squad that's got to be a priority in the offseason. Um, you know, unfortunately, you look at recruiting and you're going to potentially bring in, you know, if, if they're freshmen or even JUCO transfers, like that's going to take some time to assimilate into the program. So that's not going to provide you in a lot of cases, a lot of depth right off the bat. So you almost have to wonder if Isaac Brown and his staff are really going to try to utilize the transfer portal this offseason. I know they did that somewhat uh, this last year. I know that um, Joe Pleasant was a transfer portal guy coming from, uh, where was he at? He was at Abilene Christian before. Um, But you have to wonder if for Isaac Brown and his program to get the depth off the bench that they need if he's really going to have to go after the transfer portal. Well, he actually said, I actually listened to his coach's show this week, and he actually talked about that. Mike Kennedy asked him about that, and he said he did not want to go too much into the transfer portal hmm. because, you know, you have your guys on your team. I mean, all they, I mean, am I missing anybody else really notable off of last year's team that they are missing besides Alterique Gilbert? I, I can't think of yeah. anybody. I might be missing someone. Not really. Um, that's I the mean, main the main loss. Yeah, that's the main guy that I look at and say, okay. I mean, Isaiah Poorbear Chandler, I guess. Yeah. But, I, I, you know, no disrespect to Mr. Poorbear Chandler, but I, I just don't have him in the same category as the loss as Alterie Gilbert. 
So in his mind, like, you know, you have the preseason player of the year. You have a guy who just won preseason player of the year. They're all coming back. You've got Dexter Dennis, your best defender back. Why not give this team? And I think it's a perfectly justifiable opinion and direction of action. Why not give this team another chance to go as they are currently comprised and try to win an, another American Conference Championship and get into the big dance again? But you know, what why is... Not- because if you bring in too many guys, that kind of gives the signal to the players you have that you don't want them. And I agree with what he I don't said. Think, I don't think that it gives the signal that they're not wanted. I think it gives the signal that what we're doing right now really isn't working to the way that we want it to work. And so I mean, if well, you they can, won the championship last year. Last year, but again, if we've as we've talked about multiple times, I'm not talking a, about the future. I'm talking about why they didn't go into the portal this year. This oh, will be a different off season. Okay, I thought you were team, talking about moving forward. No, 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 no. I'm talking gotcha. about that's that was the explanation that he gave as to why they were not active in sure. the transfer portal last so if, year. If now this year, if, yeah, absolutely. But if guys there hasn't play been the potential. If there hasn't been that kind of turnover, you lose Alterate Gilbert, who 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 did make an impact in Wichita, but that's pretty much it. Then how do you attribute this team winning a championship last season and then how they've fallen off this year with pretty much the same roster? Does that look I mean again, I'm not I don't want to be critical of Isaac Brown because I like Isaac Brown. I think he's the right guy for the job long term. I, I don't I don't I don't have the answers. I don't I mean it could very yeah. well be that the talent level in the American conference is better than it was a year ago. I don't I don't know necessarily, but it, there definitely has been a drop off that needs to be addressed this offseason. Yeah, without a doubt. There there is no doubt about that. They're they're gonna have to get better. And you always have to be kind of recruiting to you have to recruit better players all the time, right? You always have to sure. recruit improvement. And, and especially players- now with the transfer portal where players can leave Pretty much whenever they want to. Oh, yeah. You know, it's not like you can recruit a kid and he's going to be there, you know, and he's guaranteed to pretty much be there, you know, unless he leaves the program entirely and leaves basketball or declares for the draft or whatever. Um, you, You have to constantly be assessing where your roster stands because it very, very well may change. And the other thing, too, to remember about this game, you know, we may not even be talking about any of this. Craig Porter hit that amazing three, appeared descended into to triple overtime. Maybe if the Shockers guard a little bit better, you know, we're talking about something different. And also, I mean, Carlton's a great player, but that was the the three he hit in the second overtime was the only three he's hit the entire season. So I mean, that you know, is he going to reliably be able to hit a shot like that? I'm going to suggest probably not. So you know, if the ball bounces a little bit different, maybe Wichita State wins that game. Maybe if they were just you know this much better, maybe they win that game. They have got Memphis coming up 1:30 on ESPN two coming up next. Uh, but yeah, you know the 22-11 points off turnovers, and uh, that was uh, really big for the Cougars along with those second chance points. Yeah, and, and you know, just one final thing about Memphis. You know, that next game coming up, that's a really intriguing matchup. Um, you know, Penny Hardaway uh, was heralded as kind of the second coming, uh, I think, in Memphis. Uh, and, and you've, you know, we all forget about it wasn't that long ago that a guy by the name of John Calipari was at Memphis and led them to a, a national title game. Um, of course, we all remember that because that was the year that Kansas won the, the title back in 08. Um, but, you know, Mem- and Josh Pastner was there for a few years. But Penny Hardaway, 
uh, was brought in as a guy that could get the big names. And he's he's done some of that over his time, but the Tigers have really kind of fallen off the map this year. There's been some drama in that program over the last couple of years. So that's going to be a really interesting matchup this weekend. Uh, I you know, I, I think that, again, if, if the Shockers can put it together like we've seen them be, be, be able to do from time to time, they've got a good chance to win this game. Memphis comes in as the number three seed if the tournament were to start today for the American. Houston is obviously number one with a one-game lead over Southern Methodist. Then you've got Tulane Temple, Central Florida, Cincinnati, and then you've got the Wichita State Shockers currently eighth. 13 and 11, 4 and 8 overall. And once again, that game will be 1.30 on Sunday. So it's a week off for the Shockers, ESPN2 for that one. Not just a sunflower showdown, it was kind of a sunflower shootout. Offense was easy to come by from Allen Fieldhouse earlier this week. And a much different looking Kansas offense. KU let it fly and let it fly far. They outshot Kansas State. Wildcats had a pretty decent offensive game of their own. It was a 102-82 victory in the Sunflower Showdown for the Jayhawks and Allen Fieldhouse. Big game in the standings. KU is now temporarily a game and a half up on Baylor and Texas Tech. Texas is a full four games back. Kansas State is currently tied for sixth. I thought that the shot making really from both teams was kind of amazing in this game. KU shot an un unfathomable, unduplicatable, you know, 63%. I honestly, Tommy, did not think that KU ran great offense in this game. You know, there wasn't just these backdoor cuts, opening up guys. You know, they made shots. And if KU makes shots like this, they're going to be impossible to beat. But you can say that probably about any team in the top 10. If Houston hits 60% of their shots and takes 24 from the three-point range, they're probably going to score 100 points and win the national title. I think KU did a reasonable job on Nigel Pack, 13 points, three rebounds. He only was 5 of 13 from the field. I still think he's a first-team all-Big 12 candidate, but he was limited in what he could do. Marquise Noel, I thought, was their best player. 20 points, eight assists, five turnovers. He hit three threes, but... You know, when Christian Brown and Ochai Abaji shoot like that, is going to be tough to beat, if not impossible. And the other thing, too, is, you know, Jalen Wilson isn't going to hit 75% from the three-point line most games. His average this year is under 30%. So I'm wondering what you take away from this game because, you know, I don't know how much we can really plan on KU to to duplicate what they did against Kansas State. Like I said, I wasn't overly impressed with the offense. There were a couple of nice plays. There was a nice scoop shot from Dewan Harris with the left hand, but you know, by and large, it was just incredible shot making uh, by Kansas and they just made a few more shots than Kansas State did and that cemented the win for the Hawks. This Kansas team lives and dies by Ochai It starts and stops with Ochai A little scary. It, and, and and I've got complete faith in him at this point. I haven't had complete. <laughs> I have not had complete faith in Ochai Abaji in his entire career leading up to probably I don't know halfway through the non conference season this year. And now I do. Like he's he's at the point now with his game where when he's got the basketball and he goes to shoot, I just expect it to go in. And I was thinking about the last time that there was a player that Kansas had where I had that kind of supreme confidence. And I can think of a couple. It's been a while, though. Uh, obviously, Udoka, when he had the ball and would just dunk oh, well, it. Like yeah. That was, that was little, pretty little easy. Little apples to oranges there. Yeah. But uh, I, I think of 
uh, the stretch that LeGerald Vick had a, a few years ago where it was like in the non-conference season. There was a stretch and he was there. Aver- he was averaging like 32 points a game or something. Like, it was stupid. There was also a period of time where he might be my, my least favorite KU player ever, but Brandon Green had a stretch where he was making everything he looked at over several games. I think it was back in 2015. And then I think of Frank Mason, his senior season, where pretty much everything that he touched, the ball went in nearly every time. Uh, um, that's that's how I view Ochai Abaji right now. Where might might I submit Devonte Graham? Sure. Had, he had a year where he put kind of put them. Uh, Devon Dotson. I mean, twenty twenty. Yeah. He put KU on his back. So I don't know if it's been quite as far as you think he is, but yeah, I, I agree with you in that he's in some rarefied air with the way that he's playing offensively. I think he's played his way into possibly. He's a national player of the year candidate. Absolutely. I don't know if I would have thought that coming into the year. He's not going to win it because I think that the the national pundits have other guys in mind. Uh, Johnny Davis is someone that they're looking at and Kofi Cockburn. And there's a few other players out there that are getting kind of the national recognition as opposed to Ochai Abaji. But he definitely is in the conversation, that's for sure. Uh, the, The thing that I really that I thought was encouraging to answer your question that you originally had about what I think about this team moving forward and what I take away from the game isn't necessarily about the shot making. It's not necessarily about the, the make percentage because I think we both know, and you even said it, that's hard to duplicate night in and night out. (laughs) It's especially hard, if not impossible to duplicate throughout an entire tournament run. But what I, what I, what I do take away is Kansas is at its very best when it plays as fast as possible. And we saw that in the Sunflower Showdown. Uh, And I don't think Bill Self particularly likes that. Bill Self is a run-the-offense kind of guy. Set the play, let it develop, get your guys in the positions that... I mean, he's a coach. He's going to want that. This team, though, the pedigree of this team is set up to run the court and to create offense. That's why I think that a lot of people were super excited for Remy Martin to be on this team, which is a different story altogether, because of how he creates his own offense and how he runs the show that way. Uh, I think that might be a reason why there was potentially some conflict with him and Bill. Um, But I think this team as a whole, they are by far faster than any other team, especially all through. I mean, tell me a Big 12 team that, that can keep up with the fast-paced offense that this Kansas team has. I don't think there is one. I don't think there's a team that can keep up. When you've got Joe Yasofu running the point, and he's the fastest one on the court, Dewan Harris is speedy as well. And then Ochai's fast. Brown is fast. Jalen Wilson, for being a four in the lineup, is quick. He runs like a gazelle. Even David McCormick as the five He's, you know, he's not lumbering up and down the court. He can move and get in position. This team is their best when they are running and when they are in transition and when they are playing quick and they are getting, they're not playing reckless or careless, but they are playing in a dynamic way. That's when this team is at their best. And that's how they played against Kansas state. The numbers uh, don't necessarily uh, disagree with you, Tommy. They're not the fastest team in the country. They're about 300. How many are there? Like 350 NCAA Division I teams. Ken Palm has them as the 68th fastest team in terms of adjusted tempo. But they uh, also, and I, I want to address that because I, I believe that, that's because they haven't played that fast game in and game out. They have the ability to. They have the potential to. But again, I'm not sure that's something that... 
You know, Bill Self is going to want fundamental offense. He's Bill Self loves teams that get down and dirty on defense. That's those are his priorities, and that's why he's a Hall of Fame coach. Uh, I don't think he's necessarily harping these guys on playing fast. Now he, I I I watched his post game conference, and one of the first things he said was, "I didn't expect the game to be that fast," uh, and it and it was, and it worked. So why move away from that? Uh, I don't clearly, disagree. Clearly, uh, in in this conference, they can outrun everybody. Well, and the other thing, the other stat too, Haslametrics has a stat. They typically are better against teams that play fast, against foes that have a pace versus the average opponent that's greater than sixty-eight point five. Kansas performs above their norm, so they they've got you know all these different statistical measures. They've got one for you know how likely are you to win the game is how Haslametrics does it, and KU performs above their normal statistic performance. 89% of the time when they play against fast teams. Against teams that prefer to play slow, KU performs above average only 28% of the time. Now, obviously, when you're playing above average, whether it's 28% or 89%, that's still good. So it's sure. not like they're bad against opposing teams when they slow down. But the numbers would certainly seem to suggest that KU is more comfortable running. And I think that Bill Self can pull on a couple of teams that did do this. I remember the 2006-2007 team. That would have been the team that was led by Julian Wright. They got up and down pretty nicely. And also the championship team. I guess it would be, yeah, 6-7 and then 2007-2008. That team was very, very good at recognizing if there was something available, they were going to take it. And Even then a if- more recent example, I, I believe the, and I, I would love to, you know, if there's a comparison from year to year, but I think the Frank Mason, Devontae Graham, Svima Kyluk team, they got up and down the court pretty frequently. Is that too. 19 or 20? I think it would have been 18. 18? Um, it, I mean, it, was, I... it was Mason's senior year and Graham's junior year when they were kind of Batman and Robin, and Mason played the point and Graham played the two. Uh, and Mikhailuk was on that team, and, um, you know, they had, obviously, in they had as a bouquet. was in the top 75. Uh, 2020. That was let's see, 2020. That was Dotson and Azabuke was the which was yeah. We were 233rd in Temple that year. We're gonna bring the ball up and just punch in the mouth. So yeah, I I think that there are maybe maybe there's something. And let's be honest. I mean, Bill Self is not a guy who is locked into one style of coaching. He he can coach different styles. Yeah, it looks like they they kind of crest out at the at the 60s. They've never been any higher than that. But that. That game kind of looked like Roy Williams yeah. was coaching the team. And, you know, here's the other thing, too. Uh, don't forget, when the Jayhawks played in Manhattan earlier this season, K-State hung a 50-burger on KU in the first half. Yeah, they did. And I guarantee you that those guys said, we're not going to let K-State do that again. We're not going to get out. We're not going to have a huge deficit going into the locker room. And I think probably the biggest deficiency that this team has is, is defense. Uh, they're, they, at least they, I don't know, I haven't looked recently, but at least they were last in the Big 12 in defense. They were the only, the like the, I, either they were next to last or last in defense in the conference. And so if you can't, I don't know, if you can't stop them, join them, I guess. You know, if, if you're not going to be able to, and, and, and K-State put 43 up in the first half in, in Lawrence. So, 
why don't you just try to shoot the lights out of the building? Uh, that's probably going to be the best way to to combat that. And, and that's what they were able to do. Yeah, the in terms of the Ken Palm adjusted defense, KU is currently sitting at, they are seventh right now. They're actually 32nd in the country right now in terms of adjusted defense. So that would suggest that their defense has gotten better. Sure. I worry about their defense if they continue to play at this pace. Now, some of that is just going to be you know what I call white noise because if you're generating more possessions in a game, even if you defend teams at the same rate, let's say that they score you know, 0.75 points per possession, if you're generating more possessions, you're going to give up more points per game. Sure. So that, you know, part of that is going to and be some give and take. I also think that, you know, if you go back to when the Jayhawks got absolutely trounced in the NCAA tournament last year against USC, if you'll recall, Bill Self in his interview after the game was very honest and said that this KU team was not athletic enough, they weren't strong enough, they weren't fast enough. And it was going to be a priority to get more athletic, stronger, and faster. I think we've seen this team has the capability of doing that. Some of it is the step in the right direction and the year-over-year year improvement from guys like Abaji, Abaji and, and Brown, but it's also some of the additions like Yasufu and Jalen Coleman-Lands, who is a freak athletically. We've known that. He played against KU multiple times, but he is a super athletic guy. Uh, KJ Adams and Zach Clements and some of the pieces off the bench, they are very athletic. And so I think that that plan is working out as long as they're able to execute in that way. I also I also think that, you know, there's a common theme about Bill Self teams with KU in the NCAA tournament where it's happened multiple times before. And we might have even talked about it on the show where the Jayhawks run in at some point in the NCAA tournament, run into a buzzsaw, a team that just is they're shooting hot. they're shooting lights out and KU's not and they don't have any way to combat that. You think of the Oregon game a couple of years ago, Auburn. Uh I mean it's happened multiple Villanova. It's happened multiple times where they've ran up against a buzzsaw opponent. This is a team that is as close to buzzsaw proof as possible because they're dynamic and they can shoot lights out when things are working well for them. I think that bodes well for this team moving forward to hopefully make a deep tournament run there. Again, there are some flaws. They're not perfect, but I think that if push came to shove and they're up against an Auburn or an Oregon or a Villanova that are shooting lights out, I think they can, they've got the potential more so than other KU teams to go toe for toe. The, the the interesting question, I think, and we'll get to Kansas State after this, I, I think is what is David McCormick's role in that kind of an offensive scheme? Because against Kansas State yesterday, he he was really just kind of out there. Yeah, it was not it was not his night. No. I mean and, and he has been, you know, in the last two wins that KU had yeah, it's coming off of back-to-back double doubles. I mean, if you're going to play West Virginia, if you're going to play fast and you're going to play up and down the court like that, you know, it doesn't create a lot of opportunities for David McCormick. Part of the reason, and he's 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 got a lot of talent. He really he truly leads does. KU in double doubles, as far yeah, as I know. He, he's got, and don't get me wrong, like David McCormick 
is a valuable member of that team. When he is playing well, the team's ceiling is that much higher. Um, but and credit to I Mitch think, Lightfoot, he seemed to he was six of seven. He seemed to in the at least offensively. Yeah. Again, defensively, I'll leave that to the experts because there were so many more possessions. But at least offensively, he seemed to integrate better with that style than McCormick did under yeah. a one game sample size. When you know the the games that David McCormick has had higher point totals have been, I would think, a lot of the games where you're running a set offense and you're throwing the ball to David McCormick in the post. And he's creating and he's making things happen. Uh, The up and down, no set plays, just kind of creating offense and scoring and shooting lights out. It's not a David McCormick type offense. Really, that's not a typical college basketball five offense like I can I can't think of a lot of guys that would thrive in a run up and down the court you know system like that when you're six foot ten and you're supposed to play in the post like I guess unless you can get down there and clean up misses and put backs and things like that um, you've got to be a super athletic five to be able to thrive in a run and gun type offense Uh, and that's really not David McCormick so you know, yeah, I get it. Like that—that that is probably one of the casualties, and that's probably a reason why Bill would say this might not be ideal for us game in and game out because we're not going to be able to get David McCormick opportunities. Um, but I think you have to recognize, if I'm Bill Self, I have to recognize that in, especially in the NCAA tournament, I'm going to need to rely on a couple guys who have the hot hand and are going to be able to make shots when I need them the most. And, and David's been that guy in the post in the past, and I think maybe you just have to play the matchup. And if the matchup is to play fast, then you need to play fast. And if the matchup is to play slow, then obviously David McCormick needs to be a bigger part of that of that game plan. Kansas State now, you look at them, they have now lost back-to-back games coming off of back-to-back wins. They had beaten Iowa State on the road. They had beaten West Virginia at home in a 78-73 game. They lose by three at Oklahoma State. Now they lose uh, to, to Kansas here. What do you make of this Wildcat team? And uh, Nigel Pack, obviously, in this up-and-down game, this is the kind of opportunity that you would think for Nigel would be a really good scoring opportunity. He's so fast. He's so amazingly quick and athletic. I would have thought that he would have relished a game like this and could have really put himself out. I was extremely impressed with Marquise Noel. Extremely impressed. I thought he played really, really, really well in this game. And I did not know. They actually mentioned this during the broadcast. Mark Smith is the leading rebounder in the Big 12, apparently. I had no idea that that was the case, that Mark Smith is the, is one of the top rebounders in the Big 12. And maybe I heard that wrong, but um, he's been doing a, an amazing job. But offensively, just never really got going. Four of 12. Uh, he was one of six from the outside. And I don't really necessarily think he got lower quality shots than KU did. He's just not as good of a shooter as the guys that KU, the the Browns and the Abajis. And man, when Jalen Wilson hit shots like that, by the way, can I go back for a moment to Wichita State for just a second while we're talking about big guys hitting threes? If Poto hits threes like that, that opens up so many interesting options for Wichita State. I had to get that off my chest. I should have said that in the right <laughs> segment, but I'm not a coherent and organized host. So, you know, what do you what do you make uh, what do you make of Kansas State and, and kind of where they are in this season? They got three games left. 
not necessarily a real cupcake schedule coming up. They got Farmageddon on Saturday. They got a, a darn good Texas Tech team on the road. And then, uh, man, sen- senior day against Oklahoma, that could be a scrum. Yeah, first off, I'd like to um, thank you for finally acknowledging what we all know, that you're not coherent. <laughs> um, th- thank you. Thank you for saying that. Um, no, really, the story with Kansas State is not even the Sunflower Showdown. It's not even the game against Kansas. The story for K-State was the game prior against Oklahoma State, who, let's not forget, they've got Mike Boynton, has, Mike Boynton has a t- very talented squad, but let's not yes. forget they're, they're postseason ineligible. And the fact that Mike Just Boynton is lame, gotten, by the way. Real lame. The fact that he's gotten that team to come together and win basketball games in a season where it doesn't matter. He's a hell of a coach. Uh, he's a hell of a coach. I like and, Mike Boynton a lot. And if if they're smart in Stillwater, they lock Mike Boynton up for as long as possible to be the coach there. And I hope he, that those fans, because you and I have both, both watched under some previous coaches down there uh-huh. at Gallagher-Iva. I remember watching... The, during the Eddie Sutton years, during sure. the Big Eight years, and that place was one of the most feared, most intimidating places to watch because those fans were on the opposing team in every game. It was absolutely packed, and there have been so many games when that place has just been a dud. Unless KU yeah. is there, unless a top fifteen Oklahoma team with Buddy Heald is there, those fans don't care. So I I you know, if I was an Oklahoma State fan, you better get out and support Boynton because if you don't, there's gonna be another basketball school that's gonna want him. Yeah. Uh, you know, so that that was a hell of a win for Oklahoma State. It, it was. And a, an incredibly crushing loss for the Wildcats. Had they won that game, they would have moved to 7-7 seven and seven in the Big 12. They would have been at 500. They would have been in the top half of the Big 12. Good enough and NCAA tournament bid? They would have been on the path for an NCAA tournament bid. Now, I think that they're, by a lot of bracketologists out there, they're still on the bubble. Uh, I think Joe Lenardi... Last I checked, had them as like the next four out next or four something out. like that. Okay. Uh, but they had an opportunity there to go seven and seven and be 500 in the conference. You would think more than likely a lot of people would not have picked the Wildcats to win inside Allen Fieldhouse. So you're looking at, you know, seven and eight. But seven and eight looks a lot better than six and nine does. And so now the Wildcats have to win out their final three games to get back to 500 in the Big 12. I think that seems unlikely for them. So they are destined at best for a 500 conference regular season and at worst another losing record in the Big 12. And it, it, I think it hinges on that game against a postseason ineligible Oklahoma State squad. That's a missed opportunity for Kansas State where that would have put them firmly in the driver's seat to get an NCAA tournament bid. Yeah, I mean, you actually look at the NCAA bracketology as of today. I'm looking at it right now. Uh, the last the last four in, Michigan, Indiana, Memphis, out of the American, and San Diego State. So, man, for Memphis against Wichita State, that's a yeah. huge game for them coming up in terms of NCAA tournament And the American's not going to get a ton of bids. You know, that it's going to be Houston and, you know, and probably SMU. Wow. No, 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 no. And, Hold on. Right? Let me finish here. First four out, according to Joe Lenardi as of today, first one, SMU. He has SMU behind Memphis, yeah. which I, you know, I, I haven't studied the resumes. Because I don't, I don't think, I don't think the Americans going to get more than two. I think it's going to be Houston and either Memphis yeah, or yeah, SMU. Houston is, you know, whether no matter what happens in the tournament, Houston's in. Houston's I would be shocked 
if the committee puts three American teams in in the tournament. It's just not this year a, a super strong conference. But I digress. So yeah, I mean we'll see. I mean there, you know, as of right now, if if they swapped San Diego State and SMU, there would be three in. You know, what does that mean anything today? No, there's still plenty of basketball to be played. BYU is the next one out. Oklahoma, Dayton, the next four out. Florida, your Kansas State Wildcats, Oregon, and St. Bonaventure. So for Kansas State, you know, we've talked a lot about Kansas, deservedly so. They're a top 10 team in the country. But, you know, you mentioned, you know, a reason that you needed to get out of your doldrums and watch some college basketball. But for Kansas State, this is an absolutely critical part of the schedule coming up to beat an Oklahoma team that's currently ahead of you in the rankings. And we might as well talk about some of this because we only, we're only doing the show every other week. You've got a chance to beat an Oklahoma team that's in the ra- the rung ahead of you, the first Which four is out. surprising because, and it must be a strength of schedule type thing, because Oklahoma's 4-11 and in conference play, which is shocking to me. Yeah, They're that's 4-11 yeah. in the Big 12. But Yeah, I... What, uh, I I don't know why that is, you know, and quadrant one wins. I don't know. I'm not the non-conference schedule. I mean, let, let's, let's not forget. We talked about this back before Ooh, Christmas. Uh, yeah. So the Oklahoma's Kansas state non-conference schedule, schedule was not very good. No, Oklahoma's. Wow. So Kansas state's strength of schedule is nine. Oklahoma's is two. Kansas's is sixth, and they've played the best defensive strength of schedule in the country. So I mean, the the only two the only two quality games in the non conference for Kansas State was Arkansas and Illinois, and both of those games were losses for Kansas State. You know, they had yeah. Florida A and M, Omaha, North Dakota, Albany, Wichita State, which they did win, but obviously Wichita State is down. That's a less good win than it was back in December when it happened. Uh, Marquette, Green Bay. Nebraska, who is a dumpster fire in the Big Ten. <laughs> they are. And, Mc, and, McNeese, uh, and State, fans. You know, like that's just, it's just not a very good non-conference schedule. They, there's not a defining quality non-conference win for Wichita State. Or Kansas State, I'm sorry. Yeah, and, and the other thing too, looking at Jerry Palm, they do not, he does not have Kansas State in the first four out. He doesn't do the next four out, um, but he does not have Kansas State up there in the first four out. Memphis, by the way, is in the first four, so they're one of the, not the last one in, but they're the first of the last four in, so they're playing in that. Um, so yeah, a lot of so- these teams... Do so you do think, you blame is this a is this a scheduling issue with Kansas State? Did they not schedule? I mean, I guess where did Bruce Weber think that they were going to be this year? And I mean, should he have scheduled harder this year? I mean, you know, like I said, that the only two marquee games in the non-conference was Arkansas and Illinois, and both of them were were losses. Those are two ranked teams, but Arkansas hadn't been ranked for a while, and they're finally back in the top 25. Really the only consistent ranked team this season that Kansas State played against in the non-conference was was Illinois. Uh, That's it. And, and so, you know, there just wasn't a lot of other opportunities there. They scheduled some other decent names like Wichita State and Nebraska and Marquette, but none of those teams have any kind of significance this season. So yeah, I don't, I, I think it is a little bit. For, it's sure, unlucky I, that Wichita state has not had a better year for them, sure, but you know, if absolutely. Wichita state's having a better year, maybe they don't win that game. 
Sure, absolutely. I guess my question, though, is you you said a couple minutes ago that the next three games in uh, the, the regular season are critical, the final three games for the team. Do you think that these three games coming up are critical for Bruce Weber? Oof, man. Um, no, I guess no, because I, th- I said at the beginning of the year that if they were in the middle of the pack, he was getting extended. So I have to say he's getting extended, right? Because this is what they do. So he, if he, you, let's just say, let, hypothetically speaking, they lost against Oklahoma State. They lost against Kansas. Let's say they lose out and they end up 6-12 and 12 in the conference. Oof. And then they lose in the first round of the Big 12 tournament. Oof. That's seven be, losses in a row to end the season. Yeah. I mean, what do you do at that point? Or maybe you win one of those games. I don't. I mean, it's it's a it's another late season slide for Kansas State. It is. Um, of course, I feel like we always beat a dead horse when we talk about Bruce Weber's job security. Um, I it's going to be just, a he, talk. I don't know if he's coated in Teflon or what, but <laughs> I'm I, I'm done placing bets on whether or not Bruce Weber is going to lose his job because I'm always wrong every time I think that he's out the door. He's extended another year, so I just don't. I don't know. I mean, I, at this point, boy, you, you lose six in a row down the stretch, you know, and, and you don't have some sort of a miraculous run through the NIT, which that would probably be what would happen. They'd probably lose six straight and then win the NIT championship. <laughs> and then be, he gets an extension. And then uh, get an extension. But you not only do you, in that scenario, lose six games in a row to end the season, you go from in the driver's seat for an NCAA tournament bid to completely out of the picture. I mean, do we um, think that they're still in control of their own destiny? If let, Let's say, let's talk about the other side. What if they went out? They would have a win so over Iowa State. They'd beat they, Texas Tech. They'd beat yeah. Oklahoma. If they went out, I think, it again, it comes down to what they did in the non-conference. Because, and then what do you do in the Big 12 tournament? How far yeah, do you get? So uh, they, you would, they would need to make a run in the Big 12 tournament, in my opinion. You Semifinal? Season, let's say you win out the final three games. You're 500 and you're 9-9. Nine and nine, and you're 17 and 13 overall. There's a, there's think, a lot of years. 500 in the Big 12 is good enough. But the committee, I think, will look at that overall 17 and 13. Or if you win, if or even if, let's say they get bounced in the first round, they win out, but then they get bounced. You're you're 17 and 14. Then I I think you miss it because you look at, they look at your big your non-conference schedule and it's just not there. I think they would need to make a decent run, at least get into the weekend for the big the Big 12 tournament to have a chance. Really really fascinating to look at for Kansas State fans. Like we said, this is a huge couple yeah. of weeks, huge three games coming up. The next one Farmageddon, Iowa State 1 p.m. on the U, that'll be at Bramlage Coliseum. We wrap up today talking hockey. What? Hockey on the show? Yeah, the Wichita Thunder just got back above 500, 22 and 21 on the season. You might be wondering, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, you look at what they've done here lately. Three straight wins, and by my count, Tommy, they have won nine of their last 11. Wichita Thunder might be the hottest team in the ECHL. Tommy, you are with the team every day. You get to watch this team on a nightly basis. How have they done it? And, you know, God, they've turned things around. They were 
They were going to be, what, seven games under 500 a month ago, and now they're a game above 500. So this is looking like a completely different Wichita Thunder hockey team in the month of February. Yeah, the, the, it was an abysmal December and January for for this team. You know, they they went on, I believe, don't quote me on this, but I believe it was a like a 14-game losing streak Whew, uh, to, the, to the point to where we were, we were saying, is this team ever going to win another game? Like, will there be <laughs> another single win? Uh, but th- there were a lot of reasons for that, and a lot of reasons that people don't necessarily recognize. And it starts with the NHL. Uh, This all kind of coincided right at the time that the Omicron was surging, that the variant, the COVID variant Mm. was surging. And the NHL implemented emergency taxi squads. And so AHL players were being called up to the NHL. And then in turn, ECHL players, including players from the Thunder, were being called up to the AHL. There were the, be- the a lot of the, the top players for the Thunder, and it, it seemed like the Thunder was impacted almost more so than other teams. Like, I don't know if the Edmonton Oilers or the Bakersfield Condors were a little bit more depleted than other teams were, but the, the top players for the Thunder, including guys like Alex Peters and Braden Watts and Jay Dickman, uh, the, the top goaltender at the time for the team, Evan Beitenheis, uh, they were all called up. They all left the team for an extended period of time. And there was a, a time where there were guys suiting up for the Thunder that nobody had really ever heard of before. Uh, and so I think it coincided with that. Also, Stefan Fournier, who has been with the team for the last several years, had been away from the team. He had not signed a contract for this season. The team was able to get him back. Uh, I think it was in early to mid-January to come back in as a player slash assistant coach. And from all the things that I've heard, he has been, he is a uniting factor in the locker room and players rally around him and they always have. And so it's great to have his locker room presence back. But ever since the, the, that variant started to die down, these players one by one have started to return to Wichita. The gang has gotten all back together and they've started to slowly get these wins and get back to 500. And now shockingly, and I can't believe like nobody in, in, in the, the front office, uh, I think would have thought a month ago that we'd be talking about a potential playoff push, but yet they are the hottest team in the ECHL and that's what's going on right now. Right now through two periods, they are trailing the Heartlanders two to one. They're getting out shot by seven shots on goal. So that's not good, but trailing to nothing at the 1153 mark in the second period to get a power play goal by Jay Dickman assisted by Cam Clark and Peter Cronella. So Wichita, the Wichita Thunder are in that match. They have got a long road trip coming up. Three straight on the road before they come back home. So they've got Toledo. Uh, they've got a game on Saturday the 26th. They'll be in Kansas City on March 1st. And then a 7.05 drop of the puck at Interest Bank Arena as the Mavericks. They're going to play a home-and-home home against the Mavericks that week. And that'll be Friday with a drop of the puck at 7.05. And the live video and audio, you can get that at wichitathunder.com. Yeah, and you know the month of March is a little bit light for home games. There's a, a home game, like you said, on March 4th, then back-to-back games on St. Patrick's Day, and then March 18th. But really, that's about it. There's a lot of events at Interest Bank Arena in March, including Disney on Ice for four days wow. uh, from March March 10th to the 13th. And then, let's not forget, the NCAA Women's Basketball Tournament comes to Interest Bank Arena oh, in yeah, late, in late March. And so the Thunder will be on the road for several weeks because of that. 
So the rough road schedule coming up for the Wichita Thunder. We'll see if they can keep things going as they are the hottest team in the ECHL. The hottest thing, as far as I know, in Wichita podcasting is the Wichita Whip Around. So it is time to hit the music. We're going to bring you one story from around the air capital in sports that you probably missed this week. And we think you probably ought to know for the water cooler talk for the rest of the week at your job. Tommy, your Whip Around story for this week. So I would like to give a shout out to your friend. And I was about to say friend of the podcast, but I don't have any confirmation that that he actually a, likes the show. Yeah. I don't have any confirmation that he even knows the show exists. Um, but he's your friend in mine, Mr. Bob Lutz. I'd like to give him a shout out uh, because there's a, a, a story that came out just a few days ago about a collaboration, a partnership between League 42 and the Orpheum Theater in Wichita. They oh, will be showing a, a one of my favorite movies of all time, 42, obviously chronicling movie. the life of Jackie Robinson, starring the late great Chadwick Boseman. That will be that a movie will be shown at the Orpheum Theater on Saturday, April 9th. It's the 75th anniversary of when Jackie Robinson broke into Major League Baseball. Uh, there, of course, there's going to be that screening sponsored by League 42. There's a VIP Q&A session with the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum president, Bob Kendrick. Just a, a, a really great time to celebrate that monumental moment in baseball history and pretty awesome that with everything that league 42 does in our community, that uh, not only do they, are they working on the field, but they're also working off the field with fundraisers and great events like that to raise awareness about um, minorities in baseball and, and obviously celebrating uh, this big event from when Jackie Robinson broke into major league baseball. Yeah. I'm pretty sure in terms of, friends or not I'm pretty sure that he doesn't know that I exist so I'm pretty oh. I'm, I have I have a feeling that that's probably not gonna go I that, would love that I would far. love to get I would love to get Bob on this show if nothing else and I it's I don't know if this will ever get to him or not it's an open invitation to come on our show and talk about the impact that league 42 makes in Wichita Absolutely. Would, would love oh, yeah. to have him on the show oh, yeah. whenever he, whenever he wants to. So that's an open invitation, Bob. I didn't even have I didn't even have his son on the show. Not not at the same time, but you know, because they deal with each other two hours a day. I'd have his I, yeah, I like sure. I, I team, love Jeff. Team Jeff all the way. You've actually worked with Jeff. So he probably yeah. is friends with you. Uh, I am going to stick with the same sport. Uh, you talked about the hottest team in the ECHL in terms of hockey. How about the hottest team in the MIAA in terms of baseball? Newman Baseball is off to their second-best 12-game start in program history. They said at 9-3, and the Jets are 3-0 and in series. They got – the weekend could not have started any worse. They didn't play on Saturday. They started on Sunday. They got obliterated 20-1 to by Concordia St. Paul. However, the Jets roar back. They win three straight from the Golden Bears. They take the series three games to one. Asher Fink is 3-0 in three starts, 18 innings pitched, an ERA of 0.5, and his last name might be Finky, by the way. I'm going to be calling some baseball. I'll have that right by the time that that happens. 0.78 whip. Four Jets are hitting over 350. Jake Angelico is hitting 441 with 10 runs driven in. Hayden Vandepaul leads the Jets with four home runs already. Rubber is meeting the road for the for the Jets this week. They are heading to Rogers State, taking on their old Heartland Conference rivals in Claremore. It's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday series. We are back to the three games in three days 
format in the MIAA this year. So it'll be a 2 p.m., 2 p.m., 1 p.m. first pitch from Claremore. MIAA home opener is the next weekend, March 4th, at McCarthy Field in Wichita against the Washburn Ichabods on March 4th. Really looking forward to some Newman Jets baseball this year. Uh, the Jets are really, really hot. They are the talk of the campus, and uh, we are really excited to see how far they can go this year. Uh, I would also won- say, Blake, real quick about, th- about oh, yeah. that. Not only are they the hottest team in the MAAA, they might be the hottest baseball team in Wichita. I mean, Wichita State baseball off to an awful start under Eric Not Ledge. a great start. I'm sure we, we'll talk about that on a future show. Um and really, with Major League Baseball potentially being delayed, it's Newman Baseball and the wind surge, I suppose, really to get behind. I mean, we're not that far away from Minor League opening day. Uh, minor so, li- well, I mean, they're, they're still saying they're going to play. They're going to play, the, they're, they're play well, but there's a chance that the start date could be affected. Or has that yeah. been decided that, that, I, that the start date I is saw, locked in? I saw a, a, a statement from the wind surge that said opening day would be opening day that the lockout major league baseball lockout does not impact their operations whatsoever uh but for right now newman's probably the best game in town as far as baseball is concerned yeah i don't know what friends or friends is doing right now um but yeah who cares what friends is doing the the <laughs> your, your southwestern bias coming in <laughs> once again. This jinx on the program. Hey, you set me up and I knock him down. That's how I it mean, works. you you certainly did. Do you want to knock down any additions, corrections, or retractions? I do have one addition, and it you, is it's a probably very, the same addition that that I'm going to have. But I'll let you do it. It's a very, very, very important addition that I am I am absolutely disheartened that we have not gotten to sooner on this show, and that is I would like to take this time. Is let me check with you. Is the floor mine? Is the floor you, officially mine? I mean, not this floor right here, but that floor over there is yours. Yes. And so I have the floor to say what I want, and you, you will not interrupt me as I say this. Okay. All right. I just want to make oh sure. Oh my gosh! If you are, I will. Uh, no, I will no, 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 warn no, no, you. No, 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 no! You can't say anything. You already told me the floor is mine. We have gone this entire time and not discussed how beautiful the Kansas uniforms were during the Sunflower Showdown Uh, on Tuesday night against K-State. It was glorious. It was amazing. And the Jayhawks should absolutely bring that look back. I'm thinking maybe sometime during the NCAA tournament would be amazing. They need to wear that uniform combo at least three times a season, if not more. It is beautiful, glorious, amazing. I'm so glad they did it. And uh, that's all I have to say. Are you done? Sure. Well, I hope that they set those jerseys on fire. Come those are, on. They were so bad. Beautiful. Those are, those are some of the wor- Those are the... Are there any no. worse than that? No. I mean, okay. There were the, the two-tone uniforms that they wore. Those are the only things that are worse. What about the those- yellow? The yellow that they wore for a game back in like 87 or 88? Uh, before my time, didn't see it with my own eyes, so I I can't judge. I mean, that would probably still be pretty bad. Those things are awful. Get the the sunflowers. So, so good. Get them out of here. So good. I, I loved knew them. as soon as you said that. Loved them. God, terrible. They're 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 terrible. That's that's my only addition. Other than that, I had a perfect show. 
Uh, well, you missed the uh, Chiefs announcing that they have released linebacker Anthony Hitchens then, yep. so not quite perfect. It's going to save the Chiefs $8.5 million on the cap. So we've talked about the things that they need to do to improve their defense, to improve their team going into the offseason. Uh, they're going to need money to do that to sign these defensive guys. So $8.5 million, I'm not sure how far that gets them to signing the guys back, Ingram or Tyron Matthew, but you know that they got to start somewhere. And That's the right I, move. That, I, you know, I agree. That, and, yeah, and you know what? Anthony Hitchens uh, was a good contributor on that team. He was a captain. He wasn't, he wasn't anything amazing, but he was okay. He was he solid. Was solid. Yeah. Uh, he was serviceable for sure. But yeah, the that was the right move financially for the team. I wouldn't be shocked if the Chiefs do the same thing with Frank Clark. Um, you know, Me he, neither. He's, I think that they he, should. He's he's He gets a lot of money, and not that he hasn't contributed, um, but I don't think he's done what the Chiefs thought he would coming from Seattle, and I think that they would rather save that money and look elsewhere. Episode 91 is now officially in the books. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. We are dropping the shows. It seems like probably on Thursdays is when this is going to happen here, at least until we are through basketball season. And uh, we'll see. Tommy, I didn't even ask you about this. Are we going to go weekly during the NCAA tournament? Or is... Yeah, I mean... Possibly. We'll we'll see. We'll We'll play it by ear. We'll, we'll announce that if we do, obviously, if we if, if KU loses in the first round, we will do one show in March and then probably, like, cancel the show. And I'm going <laughs> to probably, like, throw this microphone in a bathtub with my, myself in it because uh, th- that'll be that bad. Uh, but anyway, uh, so we will have a podcast for you coming up in a couple of weeks, and we'll be, be getting very close. Gosh, that might be Big 12 tournament time, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. So we're going to have a lot to talk about in terms of KU. We'll be looking at their seating. All the Jayhawk fans will be inappropriately uh, worried about, oh, my gosh, are we going to get a number one seed? And who freaking cares? Uh, Kansas State fans will actually have something real to worry about, depending on how they play. <laughs> what do they need? It's true. I don't who th- th- this over this over dramatization of, oh, my gosh, are we going to get the number one seed? Well, is it going to be the number one overall seed? Who gives a bleep? KU is not one the national championship so many times as a number one seed. Who cares if they get the number one seed? Give me a break. Kansas State has actually something to be worried and concerned about. They I, could thought actually you get the that, I thought you meant that Kansas State has been worrying about something else, and so now they'll actually be able to worry about something that matters. No, no, like no, maybe no. the you know the they the like Kansas State about football. All the, no, all the foul, no. all the fouls inside Allen Fieldhouse. But no, I mean, I digress. <laughs> maybe, but uh, so it'll be uh, it'll be a big show coming up. We'll see. Um, Wichita State, obviously, looking on the outside, they're going to have to win the tournament to get in. Um, can they stay hot? How will they be positioned in terms of their American Athletic Conference bid? I don't know if they're in the line in line for a NIT or a CB. IT or one of those other alphabet soup T tournaments. Uh, we will find out here in a couple of weeks. As always, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. We appreciate it. You can follow us again, cogsports.com or at cogpod on Twitter. And we, again, we appreciate it if you like, share, and subscribe with a friend. Just send it to one friend. One friend who moved away from Wichita, who loves Wichita sports and wants some more shocker Jayhawk Royals Chiefs talk in their life. We'd be happy to provide that at the mediocre level that we do. Uh, we are at cogpod on Twitter. And for our beloved audio listeners, Tommy, how can they follow you on Twitter? Uh, assume that you haven't made yourself private again. No, I'm I'm fully public, uh, and so you can follow me anytime at tweets from Tommy. 
And I am at B.E. Cripps on Twitter. We will see you in a couple of weeks. Enjoy the last few weeks of the regular season. Episode 92 is coming up when we join you in March Madness on the Keeper of the Games. Take care, guys. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Visit our website at cogsports.com. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games. And follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's K-O-G-Pod.